0: So when you were kids in middle school and in high school, did uh, did y'all categorize people like kickers, jocks, come on, somebody, heads, do y'all have heads in your school? Some of y'all look at me like, I don't know, like, come on, some of you were heads, okay, that means people who smoke pot, you don't have to volunteer anything, you keep your hands down, seriously, uh, I wasn't asking for, it's in a survey, um, uh, so and then there were the thugs that were across the street right and then there were the band nerds come on somebody So I mean yeah I mean and I was kind of one of all of those at some different point now I don't know about you, but a lot of times when it comes, what? I was a thug at one point. I yeah, just yeah. <laughs> so at one point <laughs> at one point We see other people around us and when we're in middle school junior high we're looking for an identity We're trying to figure out who we are and it's an ongoing question, and even into high school, and for some of us, we're 65 and still don't know who we are, right? And we, we have this search, it's an ongoing, it is, at the core, it's a search for significance, but really, it's a search for identity. We're trying to figure out who we are and where we fit in this world. And I'm telling you, that is a difficult thing to do unless, and I'll give you the unless in a moment. So here's the thing. Throughout our lives, different voices speak into our lives. In fact, you may have even been identified by other people. In fact, sometimes you can even just look into a mirror... And you may hear voices and echoes from the past. It's interesting how mirrors speak to us about identity. In fact, I have a mirror. This is probably a Fisher-Price mirror because it came out of our, our nursery. But if I was to look at this mirror on this side, everything would look fairly normal. I mean, this is kind of, I just get back what I put out. It's my reflection coming back at me. But if I'm not careful... There can be echoes, voices, and tapes that run from my past that when I look in the mirror, they'll begin to distort, distort the image that I see. Now, if I flip this mirror around, which is kind of fun, it's one of those uh, curvy mirrors. And it really distorts and makes my head very squatty at this point. But it distorts what I see. Why? Because the mirror has imperfections. Now, listen some of the things that we hear in our lives are being reflected back to us through a distorted mirror. There are mirrors that come from our past. There are mirrors that come from our present that when we look into them now, we say, this is me now. You are here. This is me now. And what we see is a reflection of what we think we are. It's a perception. Now, there's another mirror. I call it God's mirror. And when you look into God's mirror... Remember this, mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? But when you look into God's mirror, what comes back to you and all you see when you see into his mirror, you think you're going to see your reflection, but all you see is Jesus right there in front of you looking back. Why? Because when God sees you, he sees Christ in you and through you. Oh, he sees you, but he also sees Who you were meant to be, who you were designed to be, who you were destined to be. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, and and I went through my kicker phase, it was, come on, somebody. Heavy starched Wrangler jeans with the seam down the middle, right? Remember those? And when you first put them on, they were like cardboard, right? Justin Roper's, yeah, we did it all. But I was so thankful that after becoming a follower of Jesus, now let me just say something. The day I became a follower of Jesus, though in God's eyes my identity completely shifted to son, it took me years to come to the realization of that in my own heart. And so many people who are followers of Jesus and who are walking with Jesus, although God sees you that way, son, daughter, and we're going to see from the scripture how he sees us, Although he sees that, we still have a tendency to see the old reflection in the mirror. So what mirror are you looking into in this season of your life? So that's what the question I want us to pose. We'll come back to that later. And I want to start by praying. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to open our eyes that we will see truth. And it will be the truth that makes us free. And Father, it'll be the truth that has been established because of what Jesus Christ has done in the gospel, the good news. And Father, that we will make our way across this bridge to find that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. And Father, that we would begin to see in the mirror who you say we are. Not who our past says we are. Not even who our perception in the present says we are. But what your word says we are. Open our eyes today, our ears today, our hearts today that we may know. In Jesus' name, everyone said... We're going to do a six-week series called Identified because I found as a follower of Jesus that although I understood that I was saved and going to heaven, I still did not understand how God saw me. I didn't understand who I was. And because of that, I lived with a lot of besetting behaviors in my life, echoes, tapes, residue from the past, where they would drag me down almost as though I had a bungee cord attached to my back, and every time I would get some forward motion, and seemed like I would get a little momentum in my life, that bungee cord would snap me back. And I would find myself struggling. And yet I would read in the Bible that we're more than conquerors through him, that we're to be overcomers, that there's a life, a zoe, the God kind of life found in John ten ten, where the enemy is, is described as one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I came that you may have life, zoe, the god kind and god quality you may have life and life more abundantly or to the full and by the way that word abundant full literally means full full and abundantly abundant it's it's the picture of david killing goliath and then just to top it all off for good measure and who knows maybe just some swagger he goes over and cuts the giant's head off it's killed and really killed Abundant and really abundant, that's the life Jesus has called us to, and yet most followers of Jesus, many followers of Jesus, find ourselves woefully short of that call and that gift. Why is that? It's because we still have not found our true identity in Jesus. And like a middle school student, we're still trying on identities. As a young preacher, I was trying to be other preachers. So as a young preacher, I would model and emulate preachers I liked. That was natural. And then finally, it dawned on me at one point in my life that I, too, have a voice. I, too, have something to say. God has something to say in me and through me. And so I began to realize I have my own voice. When I first moved here, and the first few times I preached here, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, I was trying to fit in Max's box and Randy Frazee's box. Guess what? I don't fit in those boxes. Those guys are unique. Randy's unique, and Max is unique, and they're different as night and day, and yet I was trying to color in the lines, and it finally dawned on me one day, I've got to be myself and be who God's called me to be. Why? Because he identifies me, not me identifying me. And so I had to rest in that and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be me, warts and all. I'm going to show up and throw up, and I'm just going to be honest and be real. That's all I can be. And to be anything less is disingenuous. And so here I am before you identified. So we're going to cover for the next six weeks, and we're going to go through the book of Colossians. And it's going to be expository in nature, which means we're going to go and take the narrative flow of it because we get a lot of background, a lot of good information. So this is called Discovering Who and Whose You Are. It's a journey through Colossians. And today's topic, and what we're going to talk about and land the plane on, is you are, and I love this, free from accusation. So let's cover the scripture and see where where we go with that. I want to share a quote from you from Major Ian Thomas. He had a massive influence on a lot of people in regards to identity in Christ and understanding that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And he says this, to be in Christ, that makes you fit for heaven. That's awesome. But for Christ to be in you, that makes you fit for earth. I don't know about you, I'm happy I'm going to heaven, aren't you? Woohoo! But let me tell you, I want to be fit for earth. I want to be able to navigate the stuff that comes at me in this life, not just living for that one. And it says this, to be in Christ changes your destination. But for Christ to be in you, that changes your destiny. You know, we're speaking destiny over children and over kids and over young people, students, a lot. But we need to be speaking destiny over each other. Because there's a lot of unrealized destiny around. And we need to begin to call that destiny out in each and every one of us. And some of us need to redig some old wells and learn how to dream again. Amen? It's not too late. Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bible, we're going to use the English Standard Version in this, and we're going to set it up, and Paul, in this letter, by the way, let me give you a little backdrop. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. How many think that you might write different being incarcerated than you would being free? So he was focused, he didn't have a lot to do, so he was spending time, and Timothy was attending him and serving him throughout this imprisonment while he was waiting to go to Rome, and during that time, word got back to Paul that there was some some messed up doctrine going on. There was some erroneous teaching being taught and trying to infiltrate the church in Colossae. The book of Colossians is written to the church at Colossae. In that church, by the way, it's in Asia Minor, which is today modern Turkey, but at the time you would see references in scripture to Asia, particularly in the book of Acts. And it was established on one of Paul's missionary journeys, while Paul happened to be in Ephesus for two years, pouring into disciples and then sending them out all over Asia Minor. So much so that in Acts chapter 19, the Bible tells us that all of Asia heard the gospel. Well, it's not because Paul could make his way through all of Asia. It was because he was equipping the saints for the work of ministry, as Ephesians 4.12 says. So while in Ephesus, he's equipping the saints and sending them out. He's deploying them out on assignment. Well, one of these... Uh, one of these actually went out and planted a church in Colossae. It was a beautiful city, a great city. Unfortunately, that city had a short lifespan because of a devastating earthquake that happened during Nero's reign, and they were never able to rebuild the glory of that city. But it was built on a river, and so it had a natural port in it, and it was a very prosperous city. It was a Gentile city, but there was a strong Jewish presence. So in that context, Paul... Reaches out to them and he does it in true Paul form by addressing them with a greeting Paul an Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae Grace to you and peace from God our Father is often a very common greeting now Understand when Paul calls himself Apostle He's referring to himself in the literal sense of the word the word Apostle doesn't mean Bishop or overseer That's a different word word, it literally means one sent or sent one. Paul was addressing himself as a missionary. I am one who has been sent. And he says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Very common greeting. Verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He's telling them, he's affirming them, I love you and we hear of you and, and the good things that are happening among you, even though Paul himself had never made it to Colossae. He heard about this through a person we're going to meet in just a minute. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. By the way, the word gospel means good news, not bad news. Let me tell you, brother, I've got some bad news for you. It's about Jesus Christ. No, sometimes we act like we've received bad news. The gospel is good news, not okay news. It's not just so-so. It is good news. And he's talking about the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Why does he say the whole world? Because at that time, the known world of their time, the gospel was going out just as it was prophesied would happen in Acts chapter 2, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, all of a sudden these people were being scattered all over the place. By the way, that scattering, that dispersion didn't come because they said, hey, let's go win the world of Jesus. It came because of persecution. And so as the enemy stomped down and brought the hammer of Rome down on the Christians in Jerusalem, it actually was like crushing a ball of mercury. You ever hit mercury? You ever tried to pick up Mercury. Ever played with mercury as a kid? Yeah, bad idea, right? That's stuff. Who knew it was toxic, right? So we played with it like clay. But anyway, if you, if you hit a bundle or a ball or a clump of mercury, it will scatter into a million pieces. And when Rome brought the hammer down on it, it was like hitting a bundle of mercury. And the gospel went all over the known world. That's why Paul refers to the world here. He says it is bearing fruit and increasing as it go, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, verse nine or verse seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras. All right, now we have a character introduced into the storyline. Epaphras was a local to Colossae; he was indigenous of that area. It was his hometown. He was one of the disciples that heard Paul preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and he received the good news, and then he became a disciple. And then he felt called and he planted a church. He planted a church right there in Colossae. So he had to go somewhere to hear Paul, to hear the gospel. And when he did, he took it back to his hometown and established a work. And here's how Paul refers to him. Epaphras our beloved fellow servant he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit so Paul has been uh, and, and Epaphras have been Communicating back and forth, and he's been telling them of how the church is going. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Did you hear that? Paul just shifted gears into a prayer, a very common formula of Paul, where he'll do a greeting. He'll do a time of thanksgiving and affirming, and then he'll shift gears into a prayer. You'll see that in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1. And he says this, and he's praying now in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I invite you to go back this week and reread that prayer. Because it is loaded. Can you imagine Paul, a missionary, the one who's gone out and about and now is leading and overseeing praying that prayer over you as a people. When you read that, personalize it for yourself and let that be a prayer for you. Verse 12, he continues, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As we talk about identity and develop this, I want you to know something. Just as Paul just said, it is God who qualifies you. Now let me repeat that because this is critical. Religion teaches us that it's our works that qualify us. It teaches us that if I will just do good, behave good, color inside the lines, never make a mistake, repent with weeping and gnashing of teeth, then I will be okay and acceptable before God. But my Bible tells me that it's the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He qualifies you, church family. God qualifies you. God is the one who makes a way where there is no way. He's the one who the Bible says his son Jesus, he says he made us to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're qualified because the Father qualifies you, not because you're a good person. And let me tell you something, that is good news today. I don't know what you did last night or the day before or last week, but you do, and your enemy knows The accuser of the brethren, the book of Revelation, calls the enemy. And he whispers that to you often when you look in the mirror. Remember what you did? Remember how you messed up? Remember the mistakes you made? I know what you did. And if they knew what you did and what you think about and who you are, they would never accept you. Do you know what that's called? That's called a lie from the pit of hell. He's a liar. The devil's a liar. And he'll use lies to try to entrap you. But it's our Father that qualifies us. Not according to our behavior, but because of his righteousness, not mine. See, God's righteous. I'm only righteous because he's made me to be righteous. Not because I act righteous. Can I get an amen or an oh my or something? I'm glad you're thinking deep with me. Here we go. Verse 13. He has delivered us. From the domain of darkness. Remember, notice the past tense here. Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his, of his beloved son. We've gone from dark to light. Somebody walked in the room and turned on a light and it drove out all the darkness. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, yeah, wow. Verse 15, now he switches gears again. He just prayed, and now he's going to talk about the preeminence and how Jesus himself is first and foremost. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. He just keeps going. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Remember the echo of this in in the book of Revelation. He's the alpha and the... He's the beginning and the... Yeah, See, it's echoing that same language. He says, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word means first. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus was fully God, fully man, son of God, son of man, at the same time. Don't try to wrap your brain around it. It's mind-blowing that he could be both at the same time, and yet he was. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile, that means to restore as in before. That's what it literally means. To restore as it's supposed to be. To be restored into its, re- in its original condition. And isn't it beautiful that he reconciles us to himself. He restores us to how we're supposed to be and how we were designed and created to be. I don't know about you, that is major good news to me. Restoration. Through him reconciled to himself how many things? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's a reference to them as Gentiles. That's a, that's a common name, alienated and hostile. He's talking about you were you were aliens, you were foreigners, and yet as Gentiles, He has now reconciled you into Himself. The realization of what happened to me as a Gentile, accepting Jesus Christ, and now, according to Romans, being grafted into the original olive branch. Do you know, and I'm not a horticulturalist, but I do know this, I worked on a macadamia nut farm in Mexico on a mission trip one time and we learned about grafting trees and what we found out what I was so blown away by is that where you graft a tree, the graft point is actually stronger than the original branch. All right, listen to that. Where you graft a tree, a, where the graft point is, it actually is stronger than the actual branch itself. So when we are grafted into the original vine, you have to understand the strength that is there. The bond that is there cannot be broken. That is us in Christ Jesus. That is us reconciled to himself. Verse 22, and this is where we're landing. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. There's that reconcile word again. He's restored to original condition in the body and by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I broke those words down for you so you can see it. He presents us. He puts us on display. He brings us in as an exhibit before the throne of grace, and this is how we're seen. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. And that literally means before him, but it means in his sight. So this is how God sees you and me. And some of you are fighting it right now because you're thinking, that's not fair because I messed up yesterday. That doesn't, that's not fair because I've, you don't know my past. Here's what I love about the kingdom. It's not fair, but it's just. It's not fair according to our thinking. We operate by a period and work ethic. You work eight hours, you get paid for eight hours. You work two, you get paid for two. God doesn't work according to man's rules. He, He wrote the book on this thing. And he made a plan that when man blew it, when man fell in the garden, he made a plan to redeem and reconcile all of this back to the way it's supposed to be. You know what's beautiful? He's working the plan. And you know what that means for you and I? That's good news for you and good news for me, that we now have been grafted back in, and where the graft point is, it's stronger than it was before, and there's a bond that will never be broken. Listen, my identity and my security come because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me, not for what I can do for myself. You say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. That, you're saying then that you can just act like you want and it's all okay? Let me tell you something. When you're truly saved, truly redeemed, you are so filled with the love of God, the passion of Jesus, and the heart of God, you don't want to do that. You don't want to sin. That stuff starts to fall away out of your life. The desire for it, the craving for it begins to melt away because all you can see is him when you look in the mirror. It's interesting how people will fight this because they think it's too good to be true. No, it's so good it has to be true. It's the words, the scripture, it's life, it's why we were born and then born again so that we could enter into fellowship with him and be reconciled and he presents us before God's throne. And listen, this isn't like coming before the great Oz. You remember the cowardly lion? Man, I love that scene in The Wizard of Oz where he's, he's shaking and he's afraid and he passes out. Then he runs and jumps through a window. I mean, he came in such fear. and I, That's how I see a lot of followers of Jesus. They come before God. They're okay with Jesus. But man, when it, comes to, when it comes to coming before God, it's like we feel like the cowardly lion coming before Oz. That's not the God that I read of in the Scripture. That's not the God who sings over His children. That's not the God who, who in Psalm ninety-one, like just puts His arms like a like a hen putting her wings around us to protect us from the elements. This is a God who loves us so much that He would give His only Son so that we could come and know Him and be reconciled to Him. That's not a God I tremble before. That's a God I embrace. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I joke about this, and it, this is a total period reference, but I'm like Carol Burnett grabbing a hold of Harvey Corman on the way out the door. I'm not letting go. So a handful of people got that. That is <laughs> a total period reference. On this next slide, I'm talking about holy blames above I broke these words down because you need to know how God sees you. You need to know how you're seen. You need to know how you're identified by Him. Again, not by the mirror. Not by what people say. Not even by what you think. It's dangerous sometimes just to think. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. We have to be careful what's coming out. Listen to this. This is how God sees you as a son or a daughter. He sees you as Holy. I I broke the word down. Very simple. The word holy means sacred, pure, and set apart. Did you know God sees you as holy? And even as I say it, your mind's defaulting. You need to tell yourself to stop it. Take authority over your own flesh. Say, stop it. Don't even let your mind go there. In fact, risk this question. Lord, show me if this is true. Would you be open to truth today? Because what most of us don't need is a power encounter. Most of us need a truth encounter. So would you just be open to truth? Here's how God sees you. He sees you as holy. He sees you as sacred. He sees you as pure. Forget what you did or what you've done. Think in terms of how he sees you. He sees you as set apart. He sees you as blameless. The word blameless literally means spotless, spot free. And it means this, and this is where I got the title for the message today, Free From Accusation. The Bible in the book of Revelation chapter 12 talks about the enemy, the devil, the liar, who is the accuser of our brethren, who stands before the throne of God, accusing them day and night. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you're on trial your entire life, and there's somebody constantly reminding you of how you messed up, reminding you of how good you're not, reminding you of how you have fallen short reminding you of how you will never measure up. Or am I the only one who hears these voices? Am I the only one who, when I look in the mirror, and if I pause long enough and I'm looking through the eyes of flesh, I see the past. But what he wants me to see when I look in the mirror is him. His reflection. His reflection in me and through me. But the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, listen, blameless literally means to be free from accusation. That means if there's an accuser that comes after you, you have to say, excuse me, according to the word of God, I'm free from what you're saying right now. I'm free from that. I am not what you say, and I'm not who you say I am. Faultless. Faultless. I love this Mercy Me song. It's out right now. It's faultless. It's based on this. It literally is based on this passage. It's the word faultless. You are without fault. That's how God sees you. I know you're having a hard time. Your mind's going, really? Really? Because I know me. Let me tell you, he knows you better than, he know, than you know you. And he sees the end from the beginning, the scripture tells us. He sees where you're going. He sees what's possible, and he already sees it in focus, and and he sees it already in 4K. He sees it in high definition. He already sees what you're becoming, even though you don't. And the last one, that word above reproach literally means unaccusable. You know, we want to be stormproof in life, so when the storm comes, it can't permeate. But we also want to be unaccusable, where we stand before God and say, Lord... I am free from accusation. In fact, I'm not even able to be accusable. There's a proverb. The scripture says this. As a flitting sparrow or a darting swallow, a curse without cause will not find its mark. Think about what that's saying. When somebody accuses you, if there's nothing, a curse without cause, which means there's nothing of substance, it'll never find its mark. That's why when I receive criticism and I receive things, you know what I do? I put my hand out, not in front of anybody. This is a personal thing. I put my hand out, so don't get weird if I walk away from you and do something. Just go, what's he doing? Here's the deal. I put those seeds in my hand, and now I have a choice of this accusation. I can either take it in and soil, plant it in the soil of my heart, and it will bring a harvest. Or I take those seeds and I say, wait a minute, according to the Word of God, I'm above reproach. According to the Word of God, I'm blameless, faultless, unaccusable. So that means now I have a choice. I can put it in my heart, but no, based on the the Word of God, I'm just going to drop that seed to the ground. And I'm not going to allow that seed to take root in my heart. Why? Not because of, because I may even agree with what you say. Yeah, I know. I, I messed up. Oh, yeah. I, blew, I miss. But here's the deal. It doesn't even matter what I think. What matters is what my father thinks. And he sees me as holy, blameless, above reproach. He sees you as holy, blameless, and above reproach. If you try to reason your way through this, you're going to stumble all over this. Because there comes a point where you just say, wow. Wow. Thank you. Maybe that should be our response from now on. Thank you. Just thank you. Unaccusable, approved, and acceptable. Do you know you're accepted in God's sight? Warts and all, bruises and all, cuts and all, broken bones and all, you are accepted. This is good news. Can you imagine if we truly embrace that and move it the 18 inches from the middle of your brain to the middle of your heart and the average man is 18 inches. Can you imagine if we would narrow the gap to where it doesn't seem like crossing the Grand Canyon but it's only 18 inches from here to here and we say, Lord, thank you, I receive that. Into my heart, into my life, I received that truth. And now, Lord, I want to walk that truth out. In fact, look at the next verse, Colossians 1.23. He gives a condition in a sense of saying, here's, here's where this applies. If indeed you continue. He's assuming, Paul is assuming, these things are yours. This is how you're presented before God. If you're walking this out. He's not saying if you're perfect. He says if you're in motion. And that's the thing. God only asks that we lean toward Him. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. But for whatever reason, we think we've got to be crawling on glass, broken glass on our knees in repentance for Him to get get His attention. But all he's looking for is for you to lean toward him and he will meet you there. If indeed you continue, the word continue, abide, remain, tarry in the faith, stable, grounded, established, and steadfast, immovable, firm, settled, not shifting, not moving away from the hope. Of the gospel you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I love this quote from Joyce Meyer from many years ago. She said this, stable makes you, help me, stable makes you able. Can I get an amen on that? So we're going to land the plane right now and here's my, my encouragement to you. Could you try... Opening your heart to say, Lord, speak truth into my heart. Because here's what we know about truth. Truth makes us free according to John chapter 8, 31 and 32. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. On the flip side of that coin, it means this, that lies will bind you. So if you believe a lie, this accusation, you believe what the mirror tells you. You believe what an echo from the past tells you. You believe what an adult who's significant in your life said to you not even knowing that it was cutting you. Not even knowing. In fact, a lot of our own woundedness doesn't come from people who are malevolent toward us. It comes through accidentally. It comes through a moment where something happened. But we take it into our spirit. and We plant it in our heart and that seed brings a harvest. That's devastating to us. And those lies become strongholds in our life. And the only thing that will break that stronghold is the truth. So can you posture yourself as we go through this series for the next few weeks to say, all right, Lord, I'm putting myself before you, and I'm just talking practical here. This is what you do. Lord, I'm before you, and I I think I've believed some lies about who I am. I think I might have believed some lies about what Christianity is and what walking with you means. And maybe it's not just rules. Maybe it's not just... Just regulations. Maybe it's not just check boxes to be, tasks to be checked off. and Maybe you're not mad at me all the time. Maybe you're not disappointed at all. Would you risk opening your heart to the possibility that God is nuts about you? That he loves you That he's crazy about you. That he wants to fellowship with you. He doesn't want to beat you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to know you. Would you posture yourself just for the possibility that truth can eradicate the lies that are in your life. And you can walk in freedom. Just lean toward it. Lean toward it. Me, I'm going to beat a path. I'm running as fast as I can. But that's my nature but I would invite you to lean that way, lean that direction and let the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ begin to transform you from the inside out. Let truth bear the seeds of hope that will mean change for the rest of your life and for those in your orbit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word because it is truth. And Lord, I pray for my friends and family here today. Lord, would you give us all the grace to posture ourselves, to receive truth, and to allow that truth to begin to flush out the old dirty stuff, the old thinking, the old negative, broken, shattered patterns, the old religious thoughts, and the old, the old I'm in trouble all the time thoughts, and the old God's mad at me kind of thoughts and the old I'm not worthy kind of thoughts. Would you allow truth to begin like clean water coming into a radiator, flushing all that gunk out? Just flush it out by your spirit and by your word, by the washing of the pure water of the word, Scripture says. And Father, would you give us the grace to posture ourselves to learn that there may be new things to learn. There may be new possibilities and that you would open our eyes to how good you are. That we wouldn't just read words on a screen to good, good father, but we would see that and go, that's my father. That's my Abba. That's my Papa. So that's my prayer for our people for us to be set free from accusations set free from the lies that bind that we may walk in truth and in grace and in turn release that upon one another in our community of fredericksburg and surrounding area we love you in jesus name amen